Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 30. We'll be getting to our text here in just a minute, so just get comfortable. won't make you stand back up. Uh, for the next, really the whole month of December, we're going to be looking at the incarnation from John's perspective. That is, with John think, thinking about Christ coming to this world, what kind of language does he use? What kinds of imagery? And today we see this distinct imagery that he's used from the very beginning, that it is a picture of light coming into a dark world. This imagery has carried us along. It has recovered us, even God's church, the Reformation. You see the statement up here. Post tenebra spero lucem. After darkness, I hope for light. And that's engraved in Geneva, the monument to our, our Protestant reformers. We even talk about this a little bit next week with abiding in God's Word. It was shortened to simply say, after darkness, light. This phrase not only encapsulates John. Uh, it's our history. It's your life. It's our mission. It describes human history. It describes those that we hope will believe that do not believe yet. They are yet in darkness. We hope for light. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We, we've been looking at this imagery this, through our whole study. Light, which is that which is good and upright. Darkness for that which is evil, which is that for chaotic. John chapter 3, look at verse 19. And this is judgment. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. That's our issue, isn't it, in the day? Don't have to look for darkness. It's around us. People love darkness. This is the problem. They need light. They love darkness. This world's a dark place. No matter what science and the medical field has produced, the reality is there's a darkness in this world that no medicine can fix. Isaiah chapter 60, Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 2 brings this issue of darkness and what we need. Literally the light. Isaiah 60 verse 2 says, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. So what we desire through this whole month is to, is to think about how this light came. You see, what the sun is to the solar system, what it is to you, the center of light, of heat, of life and growth, is for Christians what Christ is to us. It's what we hope He is to the world, this world full of hell-bound sinners and haters of God. They need light. That's what this season is for us. So we pause ourselves and think about our main idea today. Jesus' incarnation brings hope-filled holiness to a dark world so that they might believe. I'm not going to read the whole text today, but I do want you to see a little bit of it. So, John chapter 8 now. This is our text for the day. I'm going to read verse 12. 
Then I'm going to jump down and read verses 21 to 30. John chapter 8, verse 12. And again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now look down at verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he... You will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just as I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Verse 29. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And He was saying these things, many believed in Him. But before we go to prayer, look at with me at verse 29. Brothers and sisters, verse 29 is the issue in your life. It is the issue in my life. It is the issue in this dark world. We need Jesus because there is not one of us that has ever done absolutely perfectly what is pleasing in the sight of God. And so, brothers, we need Christ. And this world needs Him. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we give this time to you, Lord. Thank you for a service that preaches the word through the music, through the prayers that we offer, even before we even come to this time of preaching. We could say the gospel has already began and proclaimed and heralded and must be responded to. And so, God, give us wisdom today because we enter... We leave this place into a world that is dark, that needs hope. And so stir our souls, our affections for you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Five hope-filled truths today that Jesus' incarnation brings to a dark world. I want us to see that the incarnation brings us life. That the incarnation brings us a person and a divine witness and these, this divine witness brings us to the Father's will so that we might be brought to faith. Five hope-filled truths. Beginning with life. Verse 12, John chapter 8. Jesus' incarnation brings life. He says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Now, Micah taught us last week the context for this is the Feast of Booze. A celebration where light is the very theme. Wouldn't have had to push it. It'd been much like these lights that we have all around. There would be lights everywhere. Jesus' self-manifestation, hard to say. The, his I am's comes out here again. You see, before 
he has been describing himself as that which is essential for life. There's a lot of things he's been talking about here over the last few months about what is essential. In chapter 4, he said he was the water of life. Chapter 6, he is the bread of life. And now in chapter 8, he is the light of life. He is that which is essential to a world that needs it. But it entered the world, you see. Christ could have saved us from the throne. He did not. He entered the world. A dark world. The idea here is illumination. In a place that has not. It is the picture of that which was not. And, Christ said, let there, and God said, let there be light. It's been the theme since John chapter 1, hasn't it? Verse John 1, 29 says this. The next day he saw Jesus, John the Baptist, coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John chapter 3 verse 17 said, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This is life through two things that I want you to see here in the beginning. Life through holiness and life through illumination. Christ came, and He came in holiness. That's the picture of light. We could say He is holy, but He gives this picture of light, of glory, of brilliance. His holiness for believers needs not make us afraid, because it is the very thing that gives us life. He is perfect because we couldn't be. It was the first song that we began to sing when we began to sing the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him sin to be Sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He knew no sin, but he took on our sin, so that we might become righteousness of God. That what was essential for life is that which we did not have, holiness. But the imagery by and far wants to show us this illumination. What's coming in a couple chapters in chapter 10 of verse 7 is another I am. It's where Jesus is going to proclaim, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, we'll get to that when we get there. I just want to help you see what's, what's coming here, what he's, what he's leading us to. In order to see the door, you must have light. It must be illumination. This is the way the God has described Himself. He has communicated Himself from Genesis through Exodus into the Psalms through light. Psalms 27. Again, we've already been singing these truths. Psalms 27 and verse 1. Just all through the Psalms. We see God communicated His light. Now remember, when we go to the Psalms, this is poetry. You've got to change your mindset. So notice the word light here. The first line and the third line. And the psalmist is going to teach us how we should see what this light is actually means. What it is doing. The Lord, Psalms 27 verse 1. The Lord is my light and my what? Salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the what? stronghold of my life. Do you see what light is? Light is salvation. It is our rescue. And He is our stronghold. This is the reason that we do not have to be afraid. 
For believers, His holiness is what gives us comfort. It is what we needed for our rescue. It is because He is not like the rest of the world that we can rest in Him. He is our strength. See, light is protection. It is dangerous at night. Yes, even in King's Mountain, as we go out and engage people on the street, what we, when we do not go out and engage them is at, is at night. You can't go out there. They'll tell you, don't come out here at night. They're trying to find some place to, to curl up and get protection. It is dangerous at night. It's when the predators come out. Jesus came to illuminate our sin so that He may enlighten our soul. He must first illuminate your sin so He may enlighten your soul. John calls this eternal life. So, Jesus is the light of the world. And so we see right at the very beginning, people's response, people's response to this Jesus determines their eternal destiny. This tells us something very, very important about the person of Jesus. You see, Jesus' incarnation, secondly, brings us a person to follow. He brings us a person to follow. It's right there in verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So following him is the means, the light. We've been talking about this on and on. What does it mean to follow to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It means to commit our whole lives, all of us, no, no little secret places that we still have control of. All of us is committed, all of ourselves, to Him as Lord, as Savior, as leader, as master. We are not the captain of our ship. Jesus is. This affects both what we believe and how we act. This is our declaration and this is our demonstration. You just see a couple of tips here for practical life all through. And I'll slow down more at times. Brothers and sisters, what we are missing in the church of Jesus Christ in King's Mountain is a demonstration. And I got a tip. I got a secret. You know what fuels your declaration? Demonstration. Get out there and demonstrate it. And it will set you on fire to declare. You won't be able to not to. But demonstration, brothers and sisters, is, is a necessary foundation of trust for our declaration. When we commit ourselves, we commit all of ourselves, both how, what we declare and how we declare it and how we demonstrate it. You see, for Jesus and for Paul and for James, faith is given to us as a gift, but this faith has feet on it. It's a, it's a faith that follows what James meant. If you turn to Revelation 14 and verse 4, you see Christians described as those who follow Jesus. He follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Here's the question today. Where did Jesus go? To whom did He go? To what did He go? Because to whom He went is where we must go. The who he went to is who the people we must go to. You see, this is what's important this morning. The incarnation did not give us rules to obey, but a person to follow. 
The secret of the Christian life is not give me, give me a checklist and let me check off the box so Jesus will be happy with me. It is the fact that Jesus gave you himself. And he is a person to follow. He is not merely some ideology or philosophy or not even a worldview as important as all of those things are. You can pursue all of those things and know not Christ. He gives us a person to follow. Took Micah's tip. He was talking about a, a, a documentary, really, called The Social Dilemma. I would recommend looking it up if you happen to have Netflix and watch it. And then if you think it's appropriate, watch it with your kids. Basically, it talks about Google, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all these big boys, and how they're building these personality profiles on all of us. So every time we go on the computer, they know what we like, what we listen to, what we buy. They know your passions. They know what you hate. They know what you think. They build it for you. Every time you go on the computer, it pulls up what you want to see. Their point was, it does, can care less what the truth is. And so I just tried it. I just typed in on my little Google, the 2020 election is, right? Just leave it blank. Just see what it prompts me for. You know what it pulled up in my, for my down here, it wants me to kick on? The gospelcoalition.org. Now I ask you, what does that have to do with the election? Didn't have a thing to do with the election. You know why I pulled that up? Because I go there all the time. And it knows I don't go there all the time, so it wants me to go there again. You say, what's the point? Google doesn't care about truth. It cares about keeping you and your kids on the screen as much as humanly possible. One of the guys here who is probably a Darwinian evolutionist says, said this enlightening sentence, artificial intelligence has no means to know and direct anyone to truth. You see, even the naturalists understand truth is important. And we're putting ourselves and our children under machines that has no means to direct them to truth. It simply directs them to what they want to hear. John 1.14, here's the truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory from the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's Word declares in John chapter 14 that Jesus is the only way. He is the only truth. And He is the only life. And that no one has the ability to come to the Father except through Him. Jesus' incarnation brings us life. It brings us a person to follow. And Jesus' incarnation brings divine witness. I'm not going to say a whole lot here. John's been talking a lot about witness, if you remember with me. But I want you to know, understand, Jesus' witness is self-attesting. It's self-attesting. That means that Jesus' testimony is true in and of himself because of who he is. Look at what he said. Verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Verse 14, Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from, and, and you don't know where I'm going. This word witness, and we've talked about this, comes from the word martyr. As followers of Christ began to follow Him, they were called to bear witness to the testimony of who Jesus was and what He did. 
And it began to cost them one after another their life. They became known as martyrs. The first martyr was Christ himself who bore supreme witness for who he said he was. And we have already sung about the resurrection that proved that his testimony is true. He's the Lord. And it's not up for debate. And it doesn't matter what Google says. You see, here's the question. Who can God call to corroborate his testimony? Who can God? Who can the guy that's above everything, the guy on the top of the hill, who exactly is his equal or above him that he might call and give a better testimony? Me? You? Christ's testimony is self-attesting because of who he was. Remember what the angel said, Matthew 1, 23? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's who he is. That's why his witness is self-attesting. What he says is true is true. Look what else he says. Verse 16 to 18. Jesus' father bears witness. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the father who sent me. And you'll always written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. There's another side to this testimony that I want to slow down here for a second, and I want you to grab. This is important for somebody here today, and I hope it's more for just than me. Maybe it's somebody that's watching online. We look sometimes at the positive testimony of Jesus and the witness. We don't look at it at the other side. You see, Jesus' enemies seek him, yet remained in darkness. Jesus' enemies sought him, and yet they remained in darkness. I want you to see, look at verses 19 to 24. This is what kept me awake. They said to him, verse 19, Where is your father? Jesus said, You neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Look at verse 21. So they said to him again. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. And you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. You see? Listen to me today. It is possible to seek Christ in vain. To seek Him your life and go to hell. There are many religious feelings about Christ without saving faith in Christ. And we only need to see it when COVID comes, when sickness comes, when the fear of death comes, when the cancer comes, when the failure of my normal comfort comes, everybody turns religious. Everybody seeks the pastor when the storm blows in. They want something. They say, I'm seeking Christ. But let the storm blow away. Let the storm pass by. Let COVID go away and give this country three months and we will not remember who Christ is. You see, you can seek Him, brothers and sisters, and seek Him in vain. You can seek Him in vain. Can I give you an illustration? Abusive spouses. It's an epidemic around here. 
You know what they want? Power and control. You know how you deal with an abusive spouse? Take away the power and control. That's how you deal with it. There's only one way. You know what happens when you take away an abuser's power and control? Two things usually. They first get violent. They get angry. Try to get control back. When that don't happen, you know what happens? This pseudo-humility comes over. They go to the family. Usually the person first that they've been, they've been exercising their, their abuse on. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'll do better. I won't do it no more. Preacher. Oh, preacher. I need my family back. Just tell me what I need to do, preacher. Oh, I'll come to your church services. I'll come to your small group, provided I get my family back. You see the problem? They don't want Christ. They want something Christ can give them. And listen, Jesus Christ will not be prostituted for our selfish ends. He is Lord, and we need Him. We come to Him on His terms. This is the sobering truth of the other side of the witnesses, you see. Listen to what I'm saying. Not my words, this is the Lord's. Jesus is the Lord. And He rewards those who diligently seek Him, not His benefits. His benefits are only for those who seek Him. In other words, seeking Jesus for your own end will leave you in a religious haze until you step into the light of glory and hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Verse 24 says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. You see, there's got to be the bad news before there's the good news. There's a dark world. And people oftentimes aren't looking for Jesus. They're just looking for some way, somebody to fix their problems. And Jesus said, you've got to believe that I am He. This leads us to our next important point. Jesus' incarnation brings us the Father's will. This is important. This is the good news. It's the hard news, but it's good news. Here's the truth. You can look at verse 19 and verse 27. Jesus is constantly talking about His Father. They know who He's talking about. They didn't have a clue. He kept saying, where's your Father? Who's your Father? Even sort of making little stabs like, like there was something wrong with his earthly father and he was illegitimate. You could see those little poking jabs going on. But they didn't know. Jesus is unmoved. It is his resolve. Jesus' incarnated life is consumed with one thing. The will of his father. Here's the question. What was his father's will? What was his father's will? That no matter what happened in his life and everything he did, it was all focused on that one thing. Well, it's right there in verses 28 and 29. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things pleasing to him. What was the Father's will? It was to bring us life through the self-sacrifice of his own son. And listen, I don't know where you are with your faith today. You may be struggling. You may believe Christianity is just a bunch of bunk. 
You may be listening online to say, you know, I just don't buy into all this stuff. Can you, can you with me for a minute, just think through this issue of self-sacrifice and find a place for it in your worldview. Find a place for it. If we are just evolved animals, as Darwin says, just evolved animals, just surviving, and whoever survives is who carries on the gene pool. It is obligated for us who are more evolved and more stronger to crush those that are weak so that our posterity may go forward. Brothers and sisters, what do you do with heroism? What do you do when somebody who is strong lays their life down who is somebody who is weak? Where does it fit? Is it, a, is it part of a cosmic mistake? Not for Christians. You see, incarnation for us means that Jesus came as God. God. And He laid His life down for us. For the weak. So that the weak may be the righteousness of God. You, do you see that? It is not the survival of the fittest. It's the survival of the weakest. I guarantee you, I got three dogs. A pit bull, a boxer, and a mutt. And if I shoot my shotgun up in the air, that pit bull's not going to dive on top of that boxer to save his life. No, <laughs> it's going to scatter for cover. But we see it every day. When our brave brothers and sisters go over to the other side of the, and give their life for somebody else that they do not know. And this is a picture of what Christ did for us. A Christian worldview does not see it as a biological mistake. Christianity sees it as the highest act of love. Did not the word of God say in Romans chapter 5, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows His love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a breathtaking truth. And to know it, to know it and hear, is Life. You see, Jesus' incarnation sort of summarizes this, this last point. Jesus' incarnation brings us to faith in the sinless Son and His sacrificial work. So let's just put it all together. Jesus' life reveals God's perfection through His sinless Son. It's what we as Christians call God for us. Jesus' life Brings God with skin on. It's God with us. Jesus' life brings us life dying in our place. God in our place. And this brings us to only two responses. Unbelief. Belief. To trust and obey. Or to walk away. So do you... See, do you have a little bit clearer picture of what unbelief is? Unbelief can be outright rejection. But listen, unbelief could be trying to use Jesus for your own means. That is unbelief. It's not saving faith. And Jesus will not be prostituted. He won't be pimped out. 
no matter what the televangelists try to do with them. It is unbelief. There's only one response. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And we see in verse 30, we get this good news that many believed. As a matter of fact, next week, Jesus is going to turn and give his attention toward those who believed. And we're going to talk about that. But so what? Jesus is the lie of the world. Okay? Got that? So what? So what does that have to do now with when we say amen here in a few minutes and go into our life? Here's my question. Is my life bringing light-filled hope to those in darkness? Is my life bringing light-filled hope to those in darkness? Here's another way of asking the question. Does God call us to put ourselves, our lives, in the pathway of the lost and broken or not? And if He wouldn't have put Himself in your place, where would we be? A little Advent book that we're using as we prepare had this in December the 2nd, roughly quoting, just grabbed me because of the message. Jesus came, came not only to preach the gospel of sacrifice, but to be that sacrifice, and He did so willingly. Let me say that again. Jesus came not only to preach the gospel of sacrifice, but to be that sacrifice, and He did so willingly. So Jesus is the light of the world. So church, what are we? What are we? Well, luckily... We don't have to worry about each other's opinions there because God, God's Word tells us and it's right there in Matthew chapter 5 in the Lord's great sermon. Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Timmy, put that picture up. We were getting our donations ready that y'all generously gave uh, the last one from this past week. And we were, we were getting it ready. Miss Teresa Wingo would go out with every week, came by, and we were getting all this together. She got a phone call, and somebody had saw a family with a little child in the woods. That was the morning. It was 25 degrees. And so we, we get in the car, and we go out in the woods to try to find this family, and they were gone. This is what we found. Now, you look at that. And you tell me what was happening in this picture. People sleeping on the cardboard. It looks like to me the child was in that crib wrapped up in those jackets. There was a tent on the other side of the picture. So let me ask you a question. Let's say that we could have found them. We haven't yet. We walk up to them and say, got good news for you. Jesus is the lie of the world. What are they going to say? 
What are they going to say? Sure don't feel like it. I'm sleeping out here in the woods, my little baby wrapped up in three jackets. I tell you, brothers and sisters, at that moment, at that moment, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. Your demonstration at that moment is the opportunity to produce a platform for declaration. And God has called us to that, brothers and sisters. They're everywhere. They're not just the homeless. They're working beside of you at your workplace. They're living beside of you in your neighborhoods. We are the light of the world, brothers and sisters. Because Christ in us gives us the hope of glory. I don't know. I don't know what you do with that. I know what we're going to do with it. I know what I'm going to call us to do with it. But all this Christmas, if we could all really believe in our heart, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. So I must go into a dark world and be the light because that's what he's created me to be. Jesus' incarnation brings hope-filled holiness to a dark world so that they might believe and live. Let's pray. Lord, I was overwhelmed as we were singing earlier such an amazing gospel. How else could one be made right before a holy God? I know no other good news other than yours, God. That you sent your son for us. You sent your son for those who have not yet believed. They're out there, Lord, in darkness. And they love it. And so, Lord, we can't, we can't fix anything. We didn't cause it. We can't fix it. And so, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit, this illumination that you promised as we go out in your name. The gospel on our lips, mercy in our hands, Lord. You said your Holy Spirit would go before us. So, God, create a burden in us to leave our comfortableness. Go out into a world that you've called us to. To be the light. And so now, Lord, would you receive our worship. Lord, we are yours and we gather ourselves together. And now, Lord, we want to return back to our Lord. We want to come back to the cross now, God. In our, in our hearts and in our minds, we want to remember who we were without Him and who we are now because of Him, and what it cost Your Son to save us. And we do this through not only our singing, but through remembering what You told us to remember. And so now, Lord, we come to take the elements, take them into our hands, into our lips, and to remember that Your own Son was broken for us. His blood was shed for us so that we might be in Him, safe, secure, 
loved. And so now, Lord, receive our worship. Receive our gratefulness as we give. That you might be glorified. That your, that your name, your name might go out to the ends of this world. In Jesus' name.